0: Singleness and marriage, and I guarantee I'm going to say some things that you might go, really, really? And you're just going to have to give me the benefit of the doubt, and we're going to dive into some good stuff. You're going to get into your small groups at 750, but before that, we have a special treat. Are you ready for this? Okay. One of our spiritual grandparents, if, y'all, if, you're, not, if you're new to this, you're, you're going to learn this. week. We have these amazing spiritual grandparents who pray for us and care for us and show up and hang out. Um, one of our spiritual grandparents texted me, and she said, look, I was single for a really long time. And I've been married for a really long time and I'd love to share with the high school students. And I was like, hashtag adorable, hashtag definitely. Like we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And so this woman is one of my favorite people, one of my favorite people on the planet. I love her so much and she is about in five minutes to drop some nuggets of wisdom and awesomeness on you. So without further ado, could you give a huge HSM welcome to the one and only Trudy. You're awesome. Just right through there. I'll help you. There you go. There you go, Trudy. Oh, I love Holy this woman. You're so amazing. All right. Yes. Yeah, so just hold it in the middle. That's what has told us. Right up here. You guys, one last time. Can you give it up for Trudy?
1: About sixty years ago, I was sitting in youth groups like you are tonight, and I was singing songs like "I Surrender All." I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I had accepted the Lord when I was 10 years old. And then when I was in high school, I attended a very good church that had a, an excellent youth group and I I really wanted to follow the Lord and to obey him and I wanted my life to count for him I didn't want uh, to live my life in a way where I would have a lot of um, regrets and uh, guilt and disappointments and so even in high school I began to set up some boundaries One of them was what kind of guys I would date. I wanted to be sure that they would be Christians. And then I just also worked on my relationship with the Lord. God led me to go to college and major in music. And from there, um, I felt him leading me to go to Haiti to work at a Christian radio station. Now, in these years of high school and college, I had a deep desire for marriage, but it didn't happen. And, you know, I did think, I'd rather be single than wish I were. Well, I was single for a lot of years. And I grew up in a home, it was a Christian home, but my parents were not happily married. They never learned to communicate. And so they just brick by brick built a wall between each other, and that wall got so high and so thick it never tumbled down to their dying days. And so I saw what a miserable marriage can be like, and I didn't want that, so I was willing to wait. And I truly believe that God allowed me to live in Haiti for 10 years so that I could observe good marriages missionaries can be very strong-willed and opinionated but they also are working toward a common goal of serving god and i saw couples working together and who uh, loved god and they loved each other the frosting on the cake was that for almost eight years i was able to live with ann and harry hebert They had the uh, guest home in Port-au-Prince where the missionaries would come and go and also tour groups. And I was able to observe a loving couple for uh, for eight years. And I remember one comment that Anne made was that the wife is the neck that turns the head. (laughs) So then I came home and I uh, began to go to a single group for older adults. And at Christmas time, there was a banquet, and that's uh, Warren invited me to that. And from our first date to the day we were married, it was just four months. But you know, neither one of us had been married, but we didn't have a lot of baggage that had to be taken care of because in our high school years and college years we lived lives that were pleasing to God and so then when we got married i was 35 and he was 36 and i tell you it's been a ride since then yeah. Yeah. and i think of john 10:10 10, 10 that says that jesus came to give us life and that it would that we could have life more abundantly And how do we have an abundant, fulfilling life? We give our lives to God and we live for Him whether we're single or whether we're married. Mm. And it is a life I wouldn't trade for anything. And I recommend it to you too.
0: Wow, you're awesome, you're awesome. And how how long have you and Warren been married? 44 years give it up that is so awesome thank you trudy thank you so much all right you guys we got so much ground to cover we're basically going just build off of the amazing nuggets of wisdom that trudy just shared with us but here's where we're going tonight here's our big idea that in singleness and marriage what we want to talk about is how do we live in a way that echoes into eternity So how do we see beyond the relationship status we find ourselves in? How do we see life bigger than just, oh, singleness means I don't have somebody, or married means I'm stuck with somebody? How do we have a bigger, better picture of singleness and marriage, one that ultimately Echoes into eternity. We've we've said this before, and I have to go quickly through it. But if you're in this room and, and you've got questions, my wife and I next week we are going to ask, we are going to answer any of your questions about sex, dating, marriage, relationships, whatever you uh, want to know about, or are curious about, or need some help and support on. We want to answer that. If you're in this room and you um, find yourself attracted to the same sex, we want to sit down and hear your story. I want to hear your story. I want to encourage you. I want to support you. I want to be able to um, share some things with you, but I want to start by just hearing your story. So make sure you send me a text. Okay. I've got a bunch of things to share with you. We're going to see if we can get through it. Number one, in a marriage between a man and a woman, two equals become united as one. Now living in the year 2018, you're like, no duh. Here's the thing. Back when the scriptures were written, this idea was radical. I mean, this idea was unheard of. Women were viewed as property. Women were viewed as means to an end. Women were viewed as things that you could use and you could discard whenever you wanted. And so in a culture where males were superior and females were like the equivalent of property or animals or children, the scriptures say differently. Jesus says this. Well, the text goes, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So there was this law going around. There's this law going around, this interpretation of following God that basically said, if your wife for any reason displeases you, if you can find anything displeasing about her, it is permitted for you to go ahead and divorce her. And so many men were practicing this. And they would marry and they would come up with some illegitimate some ridiculous excuse for why they could divorce them and and so they're asking jesus this question question haven't you read jesus replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and he said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife you see you can only be united with something that you are equal with so he's united to his wife and the two The two shall become one. You see, in in a biblical view of marriage, and we're gonna talk about singleness in a moment, but in a biblical view of marriage, it begins with two equals, a man and a woman who become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why would he do that? we're gonna to get to that in a second. Let's talk about singleness for a minute. Singleness can be a choice. Singleness can be a choice or it can also be a calling. Before we jump into marriage, we gotta specifically talk about singleness because I think in the church, singleness gets a bad rap. Oftentimes, single people might feel that they're viewed as less than or that they haven't met their full potential or that they're waiting for this next season or stage or whatever it may be. And yet scripture clearly teaches that singleness is a calling or a choice jesus continues the conversation and he replied moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning i tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery the disciples said to him if this is the situation between a husband and a wife it is better not to marry and jesus replied not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given For there are eunuchs, these being people who cannot sexually reproduce. We'll just go from there. These are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. But then Jesus grabs that analogy and he says this. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept this should accept it. So singleness is first mentioned as a gift and then secondly mentioned as a choice. And Jesus says, this teaching is hard, but if you can accept it, then you should. In fact, the scriptures press even harder into singleness. One of the big ideas that we're going to talk about for a quick second is that singleness is actually preferred and marriage is good. You see, the scriptures don't, don't um, they don't pin singleness and marriage against each other. They don't say one is bad and one is good. And and sometimes, depending on the context you find yourself in, you might think, oh, marriage is bad or, oh, singleness is bad. The scriptures don't say that. But the scriptures do actually give preference to one. And the preference isn't to marriage. The preference is actually to singleness. Paul says this. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is in quotations. What this means is that the people who were writing to Paul, we don't have their letters, we have Paul's letters, but when they had originally written to Paul, what they were saying to Paul, what they were asking about is, so in light of following Jesus, is it ultimately good to not have sexual relations? Like, should we back away from that? And what this tells us is that culturally, there were some things going on in their world where sexuality and experiences of sexuality were a deep of their worship, So a lot of the people were coming from pagan pasts, they were coming from other religions, and part of their religious expression was orgies and prostitution. And so now that they are following Jesus, they're asking some really big questions. They're saying, should we totally avoid sex? Here's what Paul has to say. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I mean Paul's basic advice at the end of the day is look I'm single and I'm living a fulfilled life. Jesus our savior was single and he kind of had a big deal in the world right? Like he kind of accomplished some things. You're going to make it if you don't get married and in fact in fact that's good and that could be really awesome. But if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. I mean, it's just not like deeply spiritual, right? It's not this like, pray for your soul. I'm going to talk about this later, but pray for your soulmate. God, who's that one person that you have for me? Don't let me miss them today. That's not really what the Bible says. It kind of just says, if you can't control yourself, then get married. As if to say, being single and being able to remain single is preferred. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. <laughs> Sucks for you. Um, but I give... A judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Okay? And I want to spare you this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man or woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. You see, I think what scripture teaches is that marriage is not a sign that you have arrived, but singleness is actually God's preference. So here's the thing. Some of you, some of you are single right now. Some of you will be single for a while. Some of you will be single for your whole lives. And here's what scripture teaches. Here's what scripture teaches. That, in, that whether that are single or married, you have an opportunity to use your life as a platform for the glory of God. This means that in the church, we need to do a lot better job of loving and caring for single and married people because both are used by God. Because in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, your relationship status does not give you any better opportunity to worship God. In fact, those who choose or are called to remain single have an even greater opportunity in the kingdom of God. Is marriage bad? No, it's good. Is singleness awesome and incredible and a tool that God uses? Absolutely. Absolutely marriage. I want to share a lie with you. And I, 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 I showed this to Courtney. I was like, are all the girls just going to hate me after this? And she's like, yes. And so we decided to share it. So here's the lie. You have a soulmate and your job is to spend all your waking moments and brain cells, finding that perfect person who will complete you and fill all of your desires. That's a lie. It's not found in the scriptures you do not and i'm sorry okay you do not have a soulmate and here's why that thinking is really 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 dangerous because number one you spend all of your time focusing on finding that right person focusing on finding that soulmate you spend all your energy and time on that and then when you get married and things get really hard the question you begin asking yourself is did I marry the wrong person? Oh my gosh. I I, I think that person was supposed to be my soulmate. That person was the right person. I think I married the wrong person. And when you think like that and when you ask those questions, what you do is you take all responsibility off of your shoulders to work on that marriage and you blame God or you blame that other person when the biblical view, the biblical view, the true view is this. That the best love story is when one man and one woman who, out of a deep love for Jesus, choose to daily lay down their lives for each other and for the advancement of the gospel. It doesn't get sexier than that. That's it. That's it. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I want to be crystal clear. I think there are really, really, I think there's a lot of people that you should never marry if you're going to marry, there's a lot of people you should never marry. Do I think there's one perfect person out there for you? No. Do I think God knows whether you're going to get married or not? Yes, absolutely. But I think God will give you the choice. And I think who you choose is incredibly important. But follow me here. If you believe that you chose this person and then things begin to get really hard, you can't begin to think, oh, maybe I married the wrong person. But instead, you have to say, no, 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 I chose this. And so I'm going to work on this. I chose this, and so I'm going to work on this. Maybe you think that's crazy. Let's check out what Paul has to say. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39 and 40, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is what? No. Are you serious? Oh, are you reading from your Bible? Okay, cool. Um, She is, see right up there? Katie, that's okay. That's okay. That'll be one of many times you embarrass yourself. Okay, she is Free, She is free to marry anyone she wishes. Does it sound like it's saying that you're supposed to sit in a closet and pray and say, okay, got it. Who's that one person that you have for me? I'm not saying don't pray for her, you, her, your, who your future spouse will be and that God will give you wisdom and discernment. But Paul says, if she wants to marry, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. So scripture is very clear that if you're going to choose marriage, just like if you choose singleness, if you are going to choose marriage, you need to choose somebody who belongs to the Lord. And you're free to do that, but be very intentional. We talked about this last week, and I'm just going to say this one line. You can't control always who you're attracted to, but you 100% every time can choose who you date. You can absolutely choose who you date and there's a lot of people you should not be dating. Now, I say this and Sarah and I have had so many conversations and this was a big issue for us for a long time. I was like, babe, I'm not your soulmate. She's like, yes, you are. And I was like, I don't know. But in Sarah and I's marriage, I'll say this. I made the
1: best choice, hands
0: down, like the best choice ever, but I made a choice and Sarah made a choice and we're committed to follow through with that choice. Marriage is an opportunity to mutually serve and value each other and honor God. Verse 19 of first Corinthians six says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore honor God with your bodies because your bodies belong to God. Check out what Paul says. The wife does not have authority over her own body because ultimately her body belongs to God. First and foremost, your body belongs to God. And because of that, the wife yields her body to the husband. Now, in the first century, this was no big thing. This was like, yeah, duh. It's the woman's responsibility to give the husband anything the husband wants. But then Paul says something so powerful. He says, in the same way, meaning just like I said for the women, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. This means in a in a biblical marriage, the husband and wife, they make a commitment to give each other away to one another as an act of worship and honoring of God. And it was a way of valuing and serving each other. And then, a verse I've never applied. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent. And maybe it's a good thing, maybe I don't know. And for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That's just that's weird, but okay then come together again so that satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control okay next one marriage marriage i'm flying through this give me two more minutes you guys marriage is a submission competition here's what i want to read you submit to one another maybe you've heard these words and you're like i don't like these words i'll i'll hopefully help a little bit submit to one another out of reverence for christ Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands This is really, really important That second verse, that second verse In the original language The word submit is not even there The word submit in verse 22 is not even there It's borrowed from verse 21 Which means, which means That you can't read 22 without reading 21 And so some people like to throw out Hey, it is the wife's job to submit That's what the wife is called to do Yes, but so is the husband Because you can't grab, you can't use verse 22 without grabbing 21. And 21 says, we are called to submit. We are called to yield. We are called to lay down our lives for one another wives submit to yourself submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything i know this is sounding crazy follow me here husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy what does it mean to be a husband What does it mean to be the head of your wife? I know that's kind of interesting language. It does not mean that the husband's will and desires are more important than the wife's. It does not mean that the brother wins, right? It doesn't mean that in an argument, that if the guy wants this and the girl wants this, they follow what the guy says. I don't biblically think that's what it means. I think what it means is that being a husband means you are the first to lay down your will and the first to sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. Remember, he said, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, if there's any other way to save humanity except through my death, would you take it? But not my will, but your will be done. And then he lays down his life for us. So Paul says, what does it mean, husbands, to love your wives? What does it mean to be the head of your wife? What it means is this, that you are the very first to submit, to serve, to give up, to love, to lay down. And you guys, I like the other interpretation. Selfishly, right? I like the interpretation that says at the end of the day, if Sarah and I are in an argument, my way wins. This one, I don't like. Because what this one says is that when Sarah and I are frustrated about something or something needs to get done, that it is my job as the husband to lay down my will and to lay down my life and to serve her first. A marriage that is all about Jesus is a marriage that echoes into eternity. I just want to look at one last verse with you, and then we're done. Jesus replied, you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Singleness and marriage, they ultimately point towards eternity with Christ. That one day at the resurrection, no one will be married. But instead... We will be in eternity
1: with Jesus, who is the God of the living. I've given you more than enough to talk about. Let me pray.